I was reading just this past week the author by the name of Tim Keller. He said something that I absolutely agree with. He says, whether you believe in the resurrection or not, you should at least want it to be true. (laughs) And I believe that should be true for each and every one of us. There may be some of you here this morning who doubt the validity and the truth of the resurrection. And can I say to you, um, it's okay to doubt honestly. Because, listen to me folks, there's hope for the honest doubter. Can you say amen? God is big enough to answer your questions, calm your fears, and relinquish your doubts. So, there's hope for the honest doubter. But whether you believe in the resurrection or not, you should at least want it to be true. I believe that. Steve Jobs said this. He said, throughout my life, I'd had seasons where I did believe in God and seasons where I didn't believe in God. Now that I'm at the end of my life and facing death, if you remember a few years ago, Steve Jobs died of cancer at a very young age. But he's saying, now at the end of my life, as I am facing death, I find myself believing in God more and more. And the person doing the interview asked him why. He said, I just can't believe that our body just shuts off one day. And we are gone forever. Then one day our sun burns out and shuts down and it's all over. And that's the end of human history. Listen to what he says here. I love this. There has to be more to it than that. We have to be more than a temporary conscious being brought about by a fortuitous cosmic accident. That's good stuff. I don't agree with a lot Steve Jobs says, but I agree with that. It kind of goes back to the same thing you've always heard, the old adage, there are no atheists in foxholes. When you get closer to death, I believe God by His, His, His precious Holy Spirit began certainly revealing more and more to us our need for God. And I think that was happening for Him. I don't know what decision Steve Jobs made concerning the Lord before he left this walk of life, but I believe he was coming to the realization that God is real. C.S. Lewis said something that I absolutely love. He says a lot that I love, but he said this, the fact that our heart yearns for something that's greater than earth, that goes past earth, and that earth can't supply, is proof that heaven must be our home. I love that. Listen to me, folks. Heaven can be our home because of the truth of the resurrection. And so agreeing with all three of these men that I just mentioned to you, I agree that certainly whether you believe in the resurrection or you don't believe in the resurrection, you and I should at least want it to be true. Now I've got some really good news for you. I've got some fantastic news for you. Listen to me. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and because of his own eyewitness accounts of the risen Savior, he tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians that the resurrection is absolutely true. Turn with me, if you will, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And I wish I had time this morning 
to give you all the evidence that points to the truth of the resurrection. We've actually been doing that in our Wednesday night Bible study. And so if you're interested, I want to encourage you to come back and be a part of that Wednesday night. We'll go deeper into this. But this morning, I can just take us so far. And what I want to do, because of the lack of time, is just give you the evidence that Paul gives right here from 1 Corinthians 15. Those of you who have been faithful to our Wednesday night services, you know we spent a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 15 in the last month and a half, two months. And, and there's a reason for that. How many of you know the resurrection is foundational to all we believe as Christ followers? Paul makes that extremely clear right here. Sometimes I fear as though we make much of the blood and we make much of the cross, and rightly so, but we don't make a whole lot of the resurrection. And I want you to know, without the resurrection, we have no hope. Without the resurrection, we're still dead in our sins. If Jesus does not conquer, we cannot conquer. Can you say Amen. And so you need to understand the importance and the power of the resurrection. And that's what Paul makes plain to us right here. He gives us several different pieces of evidence that point to the truth of the resurrection. Look what he says in verse number, chapter number 15, verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand. By which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, listen to me now, according to the scriptures. He says that a lot, according to the scriptures. There's a reason for it. He says in verse 4, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. So the first thing that Paul says here, he says, I've got some evidence that I want to give you concerning the resurrection. He says, first of all, I want you to consider the scriptures. Now, what's he talking about? Well, at the time when he's writing the book of 1 Corinthians by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's writing letter to the church at Corinth, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. Amen? Matter of fact, he was writing part of the New Testament in this letter. So the scriptures he's speaking of are scriptures in the Old Testament. It's prophecies concerning the coming, coming promised Messiah that God began promising all the way back in the book of Genesis. I told you in the first service this morning that there are over 300, there are 313 separate prophecies concerning the Messiah when, when he came the first time. Now, that's not all though. There are at least 3,000 mentions of the, of the Messiah throughout the Old Testament. So all of that uh, word, all of that truth, all of those scriptures that are in the Old Testament was pointing to the coming Messiah, the coming Deliverer. And the good news is, listen to me now, Jesus fulfilled every single one of them in his first coming. And so really what Paul is saying is, through the fulfillment of Scripture, we know Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. Can you say amen? We can look at his life. We can look at the proof in history of his ministry. 
his death, burial, and resurrection. And we can see he fulfilled everything that needed to be fulfilled for him to be the Messiah, the Deliverer, the Son of God and God the Son. Paul says you need to look no further than the Scriptures themselves. But then he goes a step further. So number one, I want you to see evidence for the truth of the resurrection lies in the fulfillment of Scripture. Again, over 300, uh, over 300 separate prophecies and 3,000 mentions in the Old Testament of the Messiah that would come and Jesus fulfilled all of them. It's amazing. Thousands of years before he got here, God said exactly what he would be like, how he would be born, where he would be born, how he would die, how he would live. Listen, how he would rise again, all of that is foretold throughout the scriptures. That can't be coincidence, can it? I mean, one fulfillment or maybe two, but 313, all fulfilled in one man? Paul says it's a no-brainer. According to the scriptures, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus did die for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. That's the mention Paul makes here in 1 Corinthians 15. Evidence number one, the scriptures. Evidence number two, the evidence of changed lives. Changed lives. And he starts off by talking about Peter. He says, I want you to know, Peter saw him after he conquered the grave. Now why is this so important for Peter and the rest of the apostles and for us? If you remember, Peter was the one who um, denied the Lord three times. Do y'all remember that? Do you remember how it was that uh, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, Peter was there and, and someone asked him if he was one of his disciples and Peter denied once, twice, and then three times. Now why did he do that? Because Peter understood and knew that if he stood with Jesus in that moment, the fate of Jesus would be the fate of Peter. And Peter knew that Jesus was about to be arrested and crucified. He knew he was in a lot of trouble. And so Peter says, I'm out on that. No, I'm not one of his disciples. I'm denying him. So for fear of what might happen to him, Peter denied Christ. Amen? Not only was it Peter, though. He's the one that is mentioned more than the rest, but all of them left in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was arrested. All of them left him all alone. He went to the cross alone. Amen? Now listen to me though. Not only did they leave him, but they were so afraid that the same people who had just crucified Jesus would come then and crucify them, they hid in a place called the upper room with the doors being locked. I mean, they was hiding out for fear of the Jews. You'll find that in John chapter number 19. All of this happened before the resurrection. You had a bunch of guys who were scared to death, hiding behind locked doors, afraid to walk out into public simply because of the fear of the people who had just crucified Jesus would then do the same to them. But what happened after the resurrection? What happened after that first Easter morning? We see these same guys going all over the world and the book of Acts says they turned the world upside down for the cause of Christ. 
We see these same men, Peter uh, being the, 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 the leader of them all, going out and proclaiming the gospel of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. What changed from before the resurrection till after the resurrection? I'll tell you, they saw an empty tomb. I mean, I want you to think about this. Think about maybe a, a good friend of you or yours or a family member. Let's just say they died and then uh, three days later they conquered the grave and come and had a cup of coffee with you. That's kind of the experience that was happening with Peter and the apostles. Jesus, whom they loved, whom they had followed for the last three and a half years, who they had completely and totally given their lives to had been killed on a Roman cross and they saw it with their own lies. They saw his blood spilled. They saw the torture that he went through. They saw the prince, or the, excuse me, the nails through his hands and through his feet. They saw the crown of thorns. They saw all of these things and they saw him die there on the cross and put in the tomb and then three days later, he was back with them again. Folks, that changed everything. Now these men who were hiding behind locked doors were shouting from the rooftops, Jesus is alive. The tomb is empty. Let me prove it to you. Acts chapter number four. And let's look, brother, if you will, please, at verse number two. Acts chapter four, verse number two. Back up to verse one. Let's get some context. And as they spake unto the people, meaning Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Look at verse 2 now. Being greeted that they taught the people and preached through Jesus, watch this now, the resurrection of the dead. So now you have these men who pre-Easter morning, pre-resurrection, was hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews, the Bible said, is now standing before the Jews, the same ones who condemned Christ to death and preaching to these people. It was that Jesus that you killed that went to the grave, but he didn't stay there. He rose again. Let's skip on down. Look down at about verse number nine or 10, please. Now, I want you to see something else. If we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Verse 10, this is Peter and John speaking. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doeth this man stand before you whole. There was a man that was healed by the power of God, a man that was crippled. And listen, Jesus, Peter is saying to all of them, Peter and John is standing up, it was because of the power of Christ, the one that was crucified, but the one that conquered the grave, that this man has been healed. Do you see the boldness? They saw it too, the religious authorities. Look at verse 11. This is the stone which sat at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now watch this, I love it. Now when they, who's the they's? That's the religious authorities. These are the people they were so scared of pre-resurrection. Now they, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? What that saying is, they heard what these men were saying. They saw the boldness by which they were saying it. And they said, we know they've been with Jesus. They're talking like Jesus. They're bold like Jesus. 
They're speaking the same truth that Jesus was speaking. These men have been with Jesus. Let me tell you something, folks. I hope when I go home this evening, my family can see that I've been with Jesus. I hope when I go to work tomorrow, my, my workmates see that I have been with Jesus. I hope when I walk into the grocery store, people see that I've been with Jesus. I hope the life and ministry of Christ is so alive in me, working on me, working in me, and working through me, that all people can see, hey, there's something different about him. He's been with Jesus. Because that's what's happening with Peter and John. Isn't that amazing? They went from being a bunch of scared crybabies, <laughs> worried about what was going to happen next, locked in the upper room, till after seeing the empty tomb and the risen Savior, standing and preaching truth boldly to anybody that would listen. Let me tell you what happened the rest of this, the rest of this chapter. They threatened them. And they said, okay, guys, we're going to let you go. But if you keep preaching this stuff about Jesus... We're going to beat you. And if that don't work, we're going to imprison you. And if that don't work, we're going to kill you. Look at verse 19, Acts 4, verse number 19. Watch what the Bible says. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Watch this now, I love it. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak of the things that we have seen and heard. Isn't that awesome? Peter and John said, you do what you got to do. Do what you want to do. But all we can keep sharing is what we've seen with our eyes and heard with our ears. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the risen Savior. And it absolutely changed their life forever. So much so that these men were willing to die for the cause of Christ. All of the apostles, save the apostle John, died a martyr's death. And the truth is, all they had to do was just shut up about Jesus. Shut up about the resurrection. And the authority said, we'll leave you alone if you'll quit preaching this Jesus stuff. And they said, we can't help but preach what we've seen and heard and we're willing to die for it. Now listen to me. Nobody will willingly die for what they know is a lie. They ain't going to do it. How many of you ever heard of Chuck Colson? Anybody? Chuck Colson was the hatchet man for President Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal. He was one of the president's lawyers and he was the one who kind of handled all the backdoor dealings with Watergate. He was convicted him along with, I think, three others and spent a lot of time in a federal prison. He got saved while he was in there. Started a prison ministry that's now worldwide and changed lives for over 30 years. Chuck Colson was a great man of God. He went on to be with the Lord just a few years ago. You know what he said concerning the resurrection? Why he believed the resurrection was absolute truth? He said he had a group of guys, just three others in him, who knew all the truth about Watergate. They knew what was going on, what had been lied about. And he said it didn't even take three days for one of them to crack and tell on everybody. And nobody had even threatened to kill them. 
But now you have the disciples. Peter willing to be crucified upside down. John, even though he didn't die a martyr's death, was actually boiled in oil by the Roman Empire because he was preaching Jesus. They're not going to do that for what they know is a lie. But if they saw the empty tomb, that changes everything. Can you say amen? amen? The evidence of scripture, the evidence of changed lives, not only with Peter and the rest of the apostles, but he, he gives another name. He, look what else it says there. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. And let's look at, I believe, verse number 6. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 6. He says in verse 5, first he was seen of Cephas or Peter, and then he was seen again of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greatest part remain unto this present. So really what Paul is saying is, if you're doubting what I'm saying, just go find these people. They were there when Jesus appeared and preached. They were there when the resurrected Christ was sharing truth. 500 people at once. I did some math this week. Let's say we took those 500 people and we gave them 15 minutes each to testify as to what they saw concerning the risen Christ. If you took those 500 people and gave them 15 minutes each, you would have 125 hours of eyewitness testimony concerning the resurrected Savior. Now let me ask you something. Does eyewitness testimony mean something? Let me ask these brothers right here. We've got two police officers sitting right here. Let me ask you guys, does eyewitness testimony mean something? If you're trying to find the truth, absolutely. That's what you have with these 500 people who Paul says some of them are still alive if you're going to go talk to them. That's what we're saying. There are mountains. This is just some of the evidence. Not only do we have the evidence of Peter and the 500, but let's go to the next verse. Look at verse number 7. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Now, who is this James? This James that is being spoken of here was the half-brother of Jesus. Listen to me now. James, prior to the crucifixion and resurrection, was not a follower of Christ. James was the little brother of Jesus, half-brother. He was the son of Mary and Joseph. We know Jesus to be the son of of Mary and God the Father. Can you say amen? According to what we learned this morning. Now James was the son of Mary and Joseph, the little brother, half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Now before the crucifixion and resurrection, he didn't follow Christ. He was not a believer. You say, well, brother, how in the world could that be that James did not follow Jesus. The, the scriptures say that two or three different times in the Gospels. Well, let me ask you something. How many of you, of you in here have an older brother? Anybody? Raise your hand if you've got an older brother. Now, I don't have an older brother. I am the older brother. And I would have to ask my brothers this, but, but let me ask you. How much would it... Now, now listen, listen to what John, uh, Peter, or, excuse me, Paul is saying here. He's saying James changed after the resurrection. Pre-crucifixion and resurrection, he didn't follow Christ and he saw no need of worshiping Jesus. After the resurrection, he saw so much the importance of worshiping Jesus, he was actually later stoned in Jerusalem because he was doing so. Something changed. Would you agree? Paul is saying it's the resurrection that changed him. 
Now all of you who raised your hands and said that you have an older brother, how much would it take for you to come to the conclusion that your older brother was worth worshiping? Would it take a lot? It took a lot for James. James had saw Jesus heal blinded eyes and unstop deaf ears. James had saw Jesus do things that only God could do. But it wasn't until the resurrection that he changed his mindset and said, now I'm going to worship him. Now I'm going to serve him. Now I'm going to preach about him. Now I'm going to lead his church. That's how powerful the resurrection truly is. That's how truthful the resurrection is. Can you say amen? So Paul says, you got the evidence of scripture. You got the evidence of Peter. You got the evidence of the 500 people that seen him at once after he conquered the grave. You've got the evidence of his brother James. But then he says this. Look at the next verse. Verse 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also. Watch. As of one born out of due time. Do you remember the account, the testimony of the Apostle Paul? See, he used to be Saul. And Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was actually a Pharisee in the Jewish religion. He so much hated Christianity that he was putting people in jail for worshiping Christ and he thought he was doing God's will. He so much hated Christianity that it was Saul who held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen as Stephen preached the gospel. And he thought he was doing God's will. Now listen to me. We know from Acts chapter 9 that on the road to Damascus, the apostle Paul saw the risen Savior and everything changed. He went from being the foremost persecutor of the gospel to being the foremost preacher of the gospel. He went from being one who hated Christ to one who was willing to give everything for Christ. He went from being Saul to the apostle Paul who would then go on to write 13 books of the New Testament scriptures. How did that happen? I'll tell you how. He saw the risen Christ. You say, no, brothers, why did Paul not follow Christ when he was alive, when he was doing his ministry, when he was doing all the things you've told us that he did? Well, I think Paul had some questions. Maybe Paul thought, if Jesus was really God, then why are things still like they are where I'm living? I mean, if Jesus is really God, why are the Romans still in power? Because the Messiah is supposed to come and overthrow the Romans. That's how they thought. Maybe the Apostle Paul was thinking, if God is really God, if Jesus is really God, then why in the world didn't all these religious leaders follow him? Maybe he's thinking that. 
Paul had questions that he couldn't answer. And these questions were keeping him from trusting in Jesus. There's some people right here in this service this morning, I bet you, or listening to me, who are letting questions that you can't answer keep you from serving the risen Christ. Keep you from believing in the risen Christ. Maybe your question goes something like this. If God is a God of love and that's really who he is, why are there so much hate in the world? You ever ask that? If God is who he is, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? You ever ask that? If God is really who he claims to be, why didn't he answer that prayer I prayed? Now I want to tell you something. All of these are valid questions. And I ain't mad at you for asking them. Are you hearing me? I think Paul had some of the same questions. That's why he hated Christ and Christianity. What changed? He saw the resurrected Christ. Now listen to me. I think Paul come to the realization that if he conquered the grave, he's got to be God. If he's got to be God because he conquered the grave, then he can answer my question. Maybe I don't have the answer right now, but does my question even matter if he conquered the grave? <laughs> Are you seeing what I'm saying? He's God. He conquered the grave. He went in dead and three days later came out alive and I saw him on the road to Damascus. So I've got questions that I won't answer. I've got questions that I'm wondering about. But you know what? If he's God, I'm trusting him with all of it. Let me encourage you. If he's God, trust him with all of it. Trust him with all of it. Folks, there are some questions we're going to have that I don't believe will ever be answered till we stand in his presence in heaven. Some of this is too big for us to figure out. A finite mind is never going to understand an infinite mind. Hey, listen to me now. If I could explain everything there was about God and why he does what he does, then I wouldn't worship him because he wouldn't be any bigger than I am. Trust him with your questions. Listen, he conquered the grave. That's what Paul did. Because Jesus did what he did, he was who he was. He is who he is. Are you hearing me? He claimed to be God with his mouth and proved it with his life. He caused blinded eyes to see, deaf ears to hear, cast out demonic spirits, walked on water, calmed the raging sea, raised up dead people. One thing I love about my Jesus, man, he never went to a funeral, he didn't mess up. He went to Lazarus' funeral, messed it up. He went to the widow of Nain's son's funeral, messed it up. He went to the funeral of Jairus' daughter, messed it up. He didn't just say he was God. He proved he's God. The ultimate proof 
is that he messed his own funeral up. He conquered the grave. You can trust him. He's God. Trust him today. Look what Paul says. Go on, brother, with me too. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. I love this. Paul goes on to say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm going to read that again because you missed it. There should have been an amen right there. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Do, do you think that maybe there's some qualifications that if they're not met, you would be no good to God? Some people think that. Some people think, man, I've, I've went too far. I've, I've rejected too much. I've, brothers, you don't know the things I've done. I had a man tell me one time, he said, Pastor, I'm not coming down to that church. If I come down and go in that church, the roof will fall in. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. People think that some things might disqualify them from being a servant of God. Well, if anybody deserved, this, deserved disqualification, it had to be Paul. Again, he was killing Christians. He was imprisoning Christians when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And then he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What Paul is saying is, because Jesus did what he did through the resurrection, I am what I am by his grace. I don't know of another human being who's done more for the cause of Christ than Paul. I really don't. Why? Because of grace. Grace that was available to him and grace that's available to you. You haven't went too far. You haven't rejected too much. You haven't done too many bad things. You haven't done enough good things. You hear me? You need grace. I need grace. And I'm glad Paul says, it's by grace I am what I am. First Corinthians 15. Verse number 55. Paul says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Verse 57 says, But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, Paul says, it's because of the truth of the resurrection we have victory over death. Listen to me, folks. The Christian life and the Christian faith is much more than just a better way of living. Regardless of what popular teachers say today, it's much more than just living your best life now. 
Let me tell you what the Christian faith is all about because of the truth of the resurrection. The Christian faith is about undying hope when facing death. And the truth is, all of us going to face death. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. The only problem is I don't know when my appointment's coming. And you don't know when your appointment is coming. I heard a story one time about a man who was traveling in his home city and he rounded the corner and he saw death staring him straight in the face. And when he saw death, he got scared and he ran because he thought death might be coming for him. So he ran to the next city. And when he ran to the next city the, and he got there the following day, he walked around a street corner and lo and behold, there was death standing right before him. And he didn't know what to make of it. You know what death said? I've been waiting on you. I had an appointment to meet you right here today. You can run from it. You can hide from it. You can try to forget it. You can try to sleep it off. But the truth is we all going to face it. And you cannot face it confidently in your own goodness or with your mama's faith or with your daddy's faith. If you're going to face death confidently, you have to face it knowing Jesus. Why? He conquered death. And because he conquered death, those who trust in him can also be more than a conqueror. Amen. You believe it? This is your invitation. If you're here this morning and you've not yet made a decision to follow Christ as Savior, why not today? The Bible says we can be saved by grace through faith and He will give you eternal life. He who hath the Son hath life. He who hath not the Son hath not life and the wrath of God abides on him or her. Do you need Jesus this morning? Why wait another second? You don't know when your appointed time is going to come. Let me ask you something, those who claim to be followers of Jesus. Is there a change in you? Is there? Because I'm going to tell you something. Jesus changes people. You better bet he changed the apostle Paul. He said, it's by God's grace. I am what I am now and I'm not what I used to be. He's the same person who wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Let me tell you something. I'm not where I need to be. I'm not where I'm going to be. But by the grace of God, I'm not where I used to be. I know there's been a change. Change in my desire. Change in my direction. Change in my destiny.
If there's never been a change in your heart, I don't care how many cards you've signed, how many churches you've joined, or how many baptisteries you've been in. I'm asking you, have you been changed? Do you know that you know you've been born again? Let's get real with Jesus this morning. I promise you, if you get serious with him, he'll get serious with you. I'm telling you. If you're here today and you need to be saved, won't you come? I can't save you. Walking this aisle won't save you. Being in this altar won't save you. But I can share with you in the word of God what it means to be saved. And the scripture says this, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. And that's what I'm going to give you. Won't you come? Quit worrying about what people's going to think. Give your questions to him. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you're exactly who you said you are. You did what the Bible says you did. I, I'm trusting by faith in you. Won't you come? Won't you come? Maybe you are a child of God, but you just need to come pray about something. Hey, this altar is a great, great place to do it. Maybe you've been born again, but you're not a member of this church, and you've been praying about it, and you know this is where God wants you. Well, come join this church. I guess what I'm trying to say is, if you are saved, won't you come help us? If you're not saved, won't you come let us help you? That's your invitation today. Everybody stand together.